This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, so in our study, um, we had a number of patients who actually only had mild respiratory symptoms from COVID-19. Um... And in some of those cases, the reason they came to hospital was not because of their respiratory symptoms, but actually because of their neurological symptoms. Um, and we saw that um, across the different groups that we had. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello, I'm Alexander McNamara, online editor at BBC Science Focus. A recent study carried out at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, UCLH, on confirmed or suspected COVID-19 patients has found neurological complications of the virus can, in some rare cases, include delirium, brain inflammation, stroke and nerve damage. Jason Goodyear, commissioning editor of BBC Science Focus magazine, spoke to Dr Rachel Brown, an MRC clinical research training fellow involved with the study, to find out more. I saw the, uh, the the study on the uh, on the press news wires and thought it was really interesting because we're obviously we've been covering COVID nineteen lots. This was um, stuck out because it was something that we hadn't seen anything about before. Obviously, everyone thinks, or most people think of it as a problem that's in the respiratory system. But then uh, your study was saying that this some neurological conditions have been have been potentially linked to. So could, could you tell me a bit about that, please? Sure. So I think I think that's still true. Um, COVID-19 is still predominantly a respiratory illness. Um, but we know that in a, in a, in a small subset of patients, um, we've been seeing neurological symptoms and, uh, and syndromes. Um, and that first came out of um, China, actually. Uh, some of the early studies from Wuhan showed that um, around a third of patients were having neurological symptoms. Now, in those early descriptions, a lot of the symptoms that people were describing included things like headache and dizziness and loss of smell and things that could just 
really be attributed to um, viral illness. Um, but as we saw more and more cases, there were also these other ones popping up that looked a little bit different. Um, and we had we have um, sort of previous information from other other viral illnesses and SARS and MERS and things like that in the past. It wasn't unexpected that that neurological symptoms or syndromes might might come out of COVID nineteen as well. Um, and what we did um, here in London is um, we have we have a specialist um, neuroscience centre. We're tied up with lots of different hospitals and centres across London and across the UK. Um, and we already had um, a platform, a sort of multidisciplinary plenary platform, where we would discuss um, on a monthly basis interesting sort of neuroinflammatory conditions, including things like encephalitis, which is inflammation in the brain. Um, and so that's a multidisciplinary meeting where we'd have um, a mix of professionals in the room. So we'd have neurologists, infectious diseases, uh, physicians, virologists, scientists, and radiologists. So we already had this sort of platform for discussing um, uh, sort of neuroinflammatory, neuroinfectious diseases. And so when COVID-19 came and when we started getting sort of information from, from China and Italy, um, we made that a weekly and weekly meeting, um, which while usually would be um, predominantly at our centre, we sort of opened that up um, to colleagues across London as well. Um, and by doing that, we were able to pool experience as it was coming through um, as the sorts of neurological um, problems that we were seeing. Um, and that was really, really important, that sort of collaborative um, effort, because these conditions are on, on the rare end of the spectrum in terms of um, complications of COVID-19. But by po pooling all that experience, we were able to spot different patterns um, of problems that were coming through. And the sorts of things we were seeing um, were um, encephalopathy, which is a transient um, brain dysfunction, sort of delirium type, type of picture, uh, which can be very common um, in infections, can be common in people with um, hospital admission generally. Um, we often see it in the intensive care. We were seeing it quite often with, with, with patients with COVID-19 infection. Um, we were also seeing um, uh, patients with para-infectious or post-infectious um, problem with the brain um, or the nerves. Um, so this ADEM-like illness, and we also had some patients who um, had this Guillain-Barre um, syndrome as well. Um, and we're also seeing um, seeing some unusual strokes. Um, we we know that um, we now know that COVID nineteen can cause a pro uh, thrombotic, so make can make your blood very sticky, and and in some patients that can um, lead to development of stroke, um, e even in some patients where there aren't sort of those traditional. Um, stroke risk factors. Um, so those were the sort of sorts of patterns that we were seeing. Um, and, and through that platform that we had, uh, we were able to put those cases together um, in, into, the, into the study and paper that, that, um, that, that you've seen. So you mentioned there uh, two conditions that um, I'd previously never heard of, ADEM and Guillain-Barre syndrome. Could you tell me a bit about what they are, what the, what the symptoms of those are, and what, what's going on in your body when you have them? Yeah, sure. So, so they're both um, what we call para or post-infectious inflammatory syndromes affecting the nervous system. Um, ADEM affects the brain and the spinal cord, so it's an inflammation of brain, brain and spinal cord, usually after infection. Um, ADEM is actually most common in children and, and adolescents, um, and about in about half of them, they have they have a they have an antibody against um, one of the the proteins on the myelin sheath. So that's the sort of protective sheath around the, the nerves in the brain. Um, and that tends to be a one-off um, infection. Patients can be very un unwell with that syndrome. 
they can get headaches, they can become very drowsy, they can have weakness, um, sometimes seizures as well. Um, but they, they tend to say tend to be a one-off, one-off illness and, and uh, uh, with recovery afterwards. Um, Guillain-Barre is, 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 is um, similar in, in that it's also a sort of post-infectious um, inflammatory syndrome, but it affects the, the nerves. So the, the nerves supplying um, movement and sensation to the muscles and uh, in the arms and legs. So it, it's sort of a cross-reaction um, uh, most likely um, of the immune system that's trying to fight off the virus. Maybe it sort of mistakes certain proteins or cells in our body um, for for those um, viruses and and, and 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 then can can lead to inflammation. So you mentioned the um, the immune response there. Can we just sort of <clears throat> go sort of on a very basic level and say what what actually happens in the bodies when we catch a virus? What what is the immune response and how how can that in cases like this, sort of go go a bit wrong. Um, so that that's a that's a very um, uh, complicated question, quite a broad question. <laughs> um, so so we have some natural defences against bugs, viruses, bacteria. Um, we have our sort of innate immune system, which is the sort of frontline um, immune cells, which which can um, try and um, fight off viruses and, and bugs. But we also have our adaptive immune system, um, which is a more sort of specialised um, part of the immune system um, that that um, is able to generate memory, um, and the body, that, that that part of the immune system can um, fight off um, more specific um, cells, so ones that are virally infected. Um, the antibodies can help neutralise viruses. Um, and as I said, that, that part of the immune system um, can generate immune memory um, so that um, if you were to sort of face that same uh, virus or bug again, um, you would uh, you would already have um, uh, cells, so immune cells that, that could rapidly expand um, and rapidly fight off, off a virus. That's how um, things like vaccination work. So you sort of... Um, Show, show the immune system um, a particular bug or, or sort of proteins from, from, a, from a bug. And so it, the immune system uh, generates that memory so that next time you encounter it, uh, you, you don't become unwell from it. So you mentioned that other viruses do have, um, quite often have this kind of, it's not sort of a unique thing to this, it, this virus and it's like a super virus and it, it's got some special properties. So we... We know that viruses can affect the body and the nervous system in lots of different ways. Some viruses can affect the brain itself some um, and cause the sort of encephalitis, which is the inflammation of the brain. Um, some can affect the, the meninges, the lining of the brain. We know that some can affect the blood vessels and cause inflammation of the blood vessels and strokes. Um, and we know that others can cause sort of um, inflammatory responses. So, so we know, and we know that so we know that other um, viruses um, can. Um, causes sort of post-infectious syndrome, so they can um, trigger sort of immune responses, which, as we said before, um, can mistake parts of our own body or parts of our own nervous system um, uh, and cause that sort of auto auto-inflammatory attack. Um, so, so um, it's it wasn't as I said, it wasn't unexpected that we were going to see some things from from COVID nineteen. Um, I think what we're seeing is um, obviously we're seeing. COVID, a viral infection on pandemic levels. Um, so you're obviously seeing a lot more people affected 
um, than, for example, with SARS and MERS. I think SARS um, in 2002 affected around 8,000 people um, and MERS was around just over 2,000 people compared to, I think, we're on about 13 million across the world. So, um, so I think the numbers um, are, are obviously much, much greater, much different. Um, so, you know, perhaps that's why we're seeing, we're seeing these things more frequently. So is it possible that um, some some of the patients, they weren't seriously ill, they had only mild symptoms, but then they later found out that they had these additional uh, neurological complications? Yeah, so in our study, um, we had a number of patients who actually only had mild respiratory symptoms from COVID-19. And in some of those cases, the reason they came to hospital was not because of their respiratory symptoms, but actually because of their neurological symptoms. Um, and we saw that uh, um, uh, across the different groups that we had. Um, so yes, absolutely. Um, we that was a little bit of um, a surprise in, in um, uh, to some degrees. But but actually, if you look at the, the sort of syndromes that can cause things like Adam and Guillain-Barré, usually um, they're not they're not always sort of infections that you know hospitalise people because of the infection. Guillain-Barré is typical after a sort of a um, respiratory or gastrointestinal illness. So sort of about um, a food poisoning with, with certain bacteria and viruses. So could it even possibly affect those who don't display any symptoms whatsoever? Um, in t- you mean in t- no, res- no respiratory symptoms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't realise that, that they've caught um, the virus at all, but then they later have some one of these neurological effects. Is that a possibility? Um, yes, that is a possibility. Um you know, in a couple of the patients we saw, we they only had really very mild, if 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 minimal, um, respiratory symptoms. Um, so I suppose I suppose the um, most likely ones would be um, the ones that, as I said, do sort of interfere with the immune response and cause that sort of um, sort of uh, abnormal sort of auto-inflammatory um, reaction. Um, but those those people would would know about their neurological symptoms, so it wouldn't sort of go unrecognised. I mean, are we seeing these these type of um, of neurological problems in even younger people? Yeah, so we saw a range of um, uh, ages affected in, um, in our study. Um, I think our youngest patient was sixteen, but we know um, that um, neurological complications can happen um, in children younger than that. It's pretty rare for for young children to be you know seriously affected by by COVID. Um, our colleagues at Great Ormond Street have. Um, uh, recently written a study as well looking at um, neurological complications in children but really very s- small numbers um we as i said we saw we saw people in their 20s and 30s but um so our, our study is is a it's a retrospective observational study so it's not a so we can't extrapolate from it in terms of talking about sort of relative risk if that makes any sense so what we need for that is our um, larger population studies, and those those are ongoing. Um, we've got um, um, colleagues and collaborators um, who are doing uh, more more um, nationwide surveillance um, studies, looking at how frequent um, each of these types of conditions are, um, and are looking at things like demographic data to see if there are any um, clues as to um, what might you know whether there are trends in terms of age groups affected, men and women affected, um, people with underlying um, health health conditions, for example. Um, and that, that that's largely through um, uh, a reporting um, uh, system that's through a number of the 
um, uh, large uh, medical organisations, including the Association of British Neurologists, uh, the British Association of Stroke Physicians um, and um, Royal College of Psychiatrists. Um, and that's being led by a team, um, the coroner study. Um, so that, that's where information um, like that in terms of uh, more, more sort of population-based, in terms of the frequencies, the, um, the types of people affected, that, that's where that sort of information um, will probably come from. I mean, what you mentioned there, um, sort of pre-existing conditions. I mean, how, how does that play into your study? Is it Was it people who already had some sort of neurological issue um, previously and it was exacerbated after they caught the virus or, or was it a completely fresh? So the neurological symptoms um, were largely were largely new things. Um, so, for example, the, the patients with sort of inflammation in the brain or in the nerves, that, that's not something that they had before. That was something um, that... They did that, that. That was described them having um, uh, acutely. Um, it, it's possible that um, um, certain underlying health conditions might um, make people more prone to things like um, stroke or encephalopathy. Um, we know we know that encephalopathy, for example, um, as I said before, is is common in patients who have febrile illnesses who have hospital admission, particularly with advancing age. Um, so there's probably some sort of underlying um, factors there. But it's not really, not, not so much an exacerbation of um, uh, things that were already there, but maybe that there are some certain um, predisposing factors that that um, make people um, a little bit more prone. But we don't really know what they are yet. Um, and actually, you know, a number of patients that we described uh, were previously fit and, fit and well um, and um, certainly didn't have any um, no neurological or psychiatric um, uh, uh, comorbidities. So might there be other uh, similar effects um, <clears throat> like this that emerge as we study and more about the virus? I think I think it's it's possible that we'll we'll see um, other things other things come through. I think what what we what we were able to do was, was as I said, describe these different patterns. Um, and so I think most of the things we're seeing will fall somewhere somewhere into one of these categories. But it may be that that there are you know other more, more sort of um, unusual things that we see um, in in certain patients. We had a little miscellaneous group. Um, of, of of a small number of patients that we couldn't quite fit into any one of those groups. So it may be it may be that we see other things that are a bit more unusual. Perhaps if if um, you know there are underlying immune factors or patient factors that that um, make those more likely to happen. But um, certainly that the, these are the sorts of trends that we're seeing in terms of um, in terms of the sorts of presentations that people are having, um, and that fits also in with um, other studies um, that have also. Um, reported um, on the neurological and psychiatric complications of um, of COVID nineteen. I mean, is is there anything we could do to sort of factor in um, treatments, sort of that correspond with the respiratory intubation or or etc. to try and um, lower the risk of these neurological complications from emerging in patients who are hospitalised with, uh, with COVID. Um, I I think that's, a, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think what we don't know at the moment is, is exactly what is driving each of the each of the conditions that we described. So we know that sort of ADEM and Guillain-Barre are usually um, post or parainfectious, auto-inflammatory things, 
But um, some, some of the cases were a little bit more unusual. We described them as um, some, some of the ADEM cases described them as ADEM-like. Um, the delirium cases um, could have a whole host of, of, of underlying causes. Um, the stroke cases, as we said, you know, that COVID-19 can trigger um, a sort of coagulopathic or sort of pro-thrombotic um, effect, which might be um, feeding into that. So there's probably a number of different mechanisms underlying the different neurological syndromes that we're seeing. Um, and some of the ones that we, we suggested in the paper and that other people have suggested. So there's, there's a possibility that the virus itself is doing some of this. We don't actually have a lot of good evidence that, that you know, not many people have actually found the virus in, in the brain or in the spinal fluid. Um, mm. So that so either, that, either that's the sort of um, factor of um, uh, related to the, the ways we're, we're looking for it and testing for it, and maybe our tests aren't sensitive enough, or maybe it's actually that you know there are other things that are underlying um, these conditions. Um, so the immune system is, is is probably going to be a, a major factor for a number of these, either in terms of, um, as I said, that sort of um, cross-reactive um, effect, um, or we know that some people have a sort of very hyper-inflammatory response to the COVID and COVID virus, um, and whether or not that is contributing. Um, but there also might be other factors. For example, um, a lot of these patients become very hypoxic, and we know that so that's low oxygen levels, um, and we know that that can um, affect the brain and the nerves sometimes. Um, the and, and, and generally the effects of being very unwell on an intensive care unit for several weeks, um, you know, also also has it has its effects. So um, it's probably a combination of those things. And what we need to do now is really interrogate um, the different groups that we've found to try and understand all those different mechanisms, what's at play in each one, um, and then how we can um, try and reduce reduce risk or identify people at risk um, and try and um, uh, prevent these neurological um, uh, things from happening. So that's almost covered everything then. So I'd just like to know now what, what the sort of next steps are for you and your research, what you'd like to do next, what you'd like to find out, you know, what, you, what your goals are and, and your targets in the next 12 months. So the sorts of things that we need to do, we need to look at each each category. We need to see um, how frequently these are actually occurring, how many people they're affecting. Uh, we need to see, are they definitely associ- are they definite sort of associations with, with the coronavirus? And, you know, is it, is it the virus itself or the, or the illness that, that's triggering it? What are the underlying uh, mechanisms? As I said, is it, is it the, the virus itself? Is it the immune system? Is it the effects of um, the sort of experience of being, being very unwell? Um, we need to identify which patients are most at risk um, so that we can try and um, reduce the risk of, um, of these neurological complications happening. And then we need to look at how, we, how, we're going to, how we're going to treat each one. There's lots of questions about, for example, best management of stroke and how we manage these prothrombotic um, conditions. We need to have a look at um, how we best manage all the inflammatory um, conditions. Are they similar to the, you know, the Guillain-Barre and the ADEM that we that we know and are very familiar with, or are there other things that we need to think about? Um, and I think we need to really focus um, also on our um, patients in intensive care unit. You know, they're very difficult patients to um, investigate and manage, um, not just because of how unwell they are and um, often being uh, needing very specialist nursing um, and respiratory care. Um, making it difficult to sort of get them into into a scanner, for example, but also there's all the infection um, control things related to that. So, um, so I think we need to have a look at those patients in more detail, um, try to understand exactly um, 
uh, what is causing um, sort of neurological problems that they um, experience because we know that, that um, uh, some of those patients can be very sort of neurologically unwell afterwards. Um, and then the final thing would be about rehabilitation um, and how we best support um, and rehabilitate our patients. Um, we're very used to rehabilitating people with things like stroke and Adem and Guillain-Barre. COVID brings uh, another level of complication and obviously a lot of these patients um, have been very unwell, are very deconditioned, might have residual um, breathing problems, respiratory problems as a result of um, uh, of this virus. So, so there's lots of sort of things that we need to do to try and um, optimise care for patients. Um, and then perhaps the other thing would be to sort of look at people who've had a milder um, syndrome. We, you know, we hear about people who've had you know mild memory problems or things like that afterwards and maybe looking at those patients as well um not everyone with a sort of post post-covid sort of um uh it, it, syndrome will, will, will have neurological problems but there may be a, a subset in whom you know that we we might need to sort of have a look at them and see if, if there's anything um affecting them as well that was dr rachel brown an MRC Clinical Research Training Fellow affiliated to the UCL Queen Square Institute of Neurology and the UCL Institute of Immunity and Transplantation. You can find out more about the latest on the COVID-19 pandemic at sciencefocus.com and pick up the latest issue of BBC Science Focus magazine for more amazing science and tech. This month, we're looking into the radical new theory that suggests that some planets orbiting supermassive black holes may have the perfect conditions to harbour life. As always, let us know what you think of the show with a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.